Have you? No? Thank you. Thank you for introducing this lovely hymn. Well, yesterday, uh, about 15 of us went to Dromana. We had an Alpha retreat. Part of the Alpha course is that you go away for two nights, actually, but we only went for a whole day, 9 to... We meet here at 8.30, and we return back here about just before 6 o'clock. We spent one whole day together in Dramana. Fifteen of us, we studied together five questions. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And what are the evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, those are the questions that we need to answer, we need to talk about. Because this issue has split churches, uh, caused so much chaos. Uh, the spirit that's supposed to draw and unite the body of Christ ended up an issue with split a lot of churches. So we went through that. Wonderful time. We have one more session this Wednesday on the topic about what about the church. And then the following Wednesday, we have a celebration lunch uh, where people can share about uh, what they have learned from this course. Let me just say a word of prayer and then we will read the difficult text of Nehemiah chapter 12. Maybe I'll ask Shirley to come and read all the names. Shirley, always come and correct my pronunciation. Shirley, where are you? I'm going to get you come and read to us. Let me just say a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you. You deserve the greater glory and honor. Thank you that you are our God. You are our creator God. You are awesome God. We worship you. We are your creature. You are our creator. Help us. Uh, not to argue or rebel against you so much. Spend more time learning how to obey you is better, more productive. And thank you for today that we can study your word uh, from this passage. Be with us, Lord. Your word is a living word. Uh, your word is timeless. It's always relevant. Truth is always relevant. We don't have to try to make it relevant. It is relevant. And for that, we pray that you will bless our time together as we study, as we allow your spirit to touch our hearts, stimulate our mind, and change the way we think, and it will affect the way we live. Thank you. We ask this sincerely in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 12, we're almost coming to the end. We have uh, two more messages. Uh, one will be in two weeks' time, and one in November, because the month of October, I'll, I'll, I'll be away. Uh, this is the time, a season that finally the temple is built and Nehemiah did everything. They handled opposition, internal, external, discouragement, disappointment, all kinds of things. And finally the wall has been built in 52 days and he also went about repopulating the city that we talked about last sermon in Nehemiah chapter 12. Repopulated the city uh, the leaders set the example, came back, and then they draw lots of which every village that they go to, they have to tithe 10% of their people to come back to Jerusalem, to serve in the temple, to repopulate the city. And there were more volunteers that returned as well. And finally, this is the moment in chapter 12, verse 27, right down to, to the end of chapter 12, it is a dedication service. Maybe we can draw some of this point in, uh, in 14 months' time when our building is built. It's a dedication of the temple. 
It's a time of worship, rejoicing, giving thanks to God. And I think in this passage, it teaches us something about what worship is all about. And all these are done in the context of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The virtue of thankfulness influences all other virtues and attitudes of life. And I think it is the, probably the most powerful virtues of all. That's why we say grace, isn't it, before we eat? Uh, it's just to build the habit of learning to give thanks even on the basic necessity of bread and water. There was a story that I came across recently in October 1942. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Captain Eddie Reichenbacher and uh, several companions. They were lost at sea in life rafts for 21 days after he delivered a message from the president to uh, General Douglas MacArthur during World War I. And he was lost in, a, in sea on life raft for 21 days, but he survived. And when he was asked, what was the biggest lesson you learned from that experience? And this is what he said. He said, if you have all the fresh water you want to drink and all the food you want to eat, you ought never to complain about anything. If you have all the fresh water you want to drink and all the food you want to eat, you ought never to complain about anything, even suffering from hay fever. Yes, I suffer from hay fever. Very bad, but nothing to complain about. Learn to enjoy every season of life. Uh, giving thanks to God. Thankfulness is one of those virtues. That's why right throughout Scripture, uh, there are always so many verses that tells us about giving thanks to God. Psalms 92, it is good to praise the Lord. Make music to your name. In Psalms 104, enter his gate with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And give thanks to him and praise his name. There are so many things. I have other verses. I put it up. I just jump ahead of it. Um, there are so many things. And so in this uh, in this sermon, I'm going to read to you from verse 27 to, and you s to see that you see the rejoicing, worshipping, singing praises to God and giving Him the glory and honor for helping them to bringing them back when they were in exile, returned, rebuilt, and finally now they are back again. So let me just try to read to you. So stay with me, please. Uh, as, as I said, it is a, a worship service, a dedication service. They get all the priests, all the Levites, everybody come together and they, read, they dedicate the temple to the Lord. So verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving. And with the music of cymbal, harps, and lyres, the musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem. And that's where it all begins. From the villages of the Netophatites, from Bev Gilgal, and from the area of Jiba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates and the wall. Can you imagine they purified even the gates and the wall? 
I had the leaders of Judah go up on one. So he divided into two groups, and one group led by Ezra, and one group led by Nehemiah, and they're going to march up the walls. Maybe just to tell Tobiah. Remember in chapter 3, he said, even the fox stand on the rock, it will collapse. He said, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to send this troop that we have, hundreds of people carrying their musical instrument, march from one from this side and one from this side, and I'm going to tell you that it's going to collapse. So I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed from the top of the wall to the right towards the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests and trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zaku, the son of Asaph. All these people march from one side. And then his associate, I'm going to try that. Uh, instrument prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the side of David's palace to the water gate on the east. And then there's one, there's one group, and this is another group now led by Nehemiah. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half of the people, past the tower of Avrans to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshanah gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and at the gate of the guard they stopped. The two choirs that took gave thanks. That doesn't make sense. The two choirs that gave thanks, correct. Then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, and also. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices. This is the verse that I'm going to hammer in. I'm going to give you three points from this verse, because I think this is a key verse from this text. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. Just imagine this verse alone. There are four times joy appears. And on that great day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Probably Tobiah's son Balat also heard about that. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contribution, first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside a portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside a portion for the descendants of Aaron. 
Thanksgiving is part of what uh, Christians is all about. We always come to God with thankfulness because of what Jesus had done for us on the cross. And I read to you a few verses just now that there are many verses in the Bible to ask us to give thanks. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, which is the main text that we talked about yesterday at the Alpha Retreat about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here it said, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The do not get drunk on wine is not referred to socially. You know, it's true, socially you can get drunk. But in that context, it's not talking about it. It's not social, it's religious. Because pagan religion often get intoxicated, get yourself high by, by getting uh, drunk in a sense, you know, trance in a trance before the Spirit can enter you. Uh, and, and Paul writes in that context and says, do not get drunk on wine. Don't get in trance, you don't have to to get God to come near you. The Holy Spirit is there. And Holy Spirit is the final front where God draws near to mankind. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he went on to say, these are the evidence that you are being filled with the Holy Spirit. You are able to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to God. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Think of the word always and the word everything. You know how hard it is? But we are asked to do that because there is a reason that we are able to do that. It can affect the way you live your life. It can affect the way even you, you, you see your circumstances and trials in life. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at 1 Thessalonians again. Uh, if you don't know what God's will is, the general will of God is very clear. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When you walk in the general will of God, then you can find the specific will of God. The general will of God for all of us is to be joyful always, to pray continually and to give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus thanklessness destroys the soul and thankfulness always delivers the soul and so here uh, in this passage I read to you from Nehemiah picture with me all that is happening here two massive choirs are put together one is sent along the musician to the right on top of the wall led by Ezra the teachers of the law, and the other group is sent the opposite direction to the left on top of the wall, followed by Nehemiah. And at the gate of the guard, they all stop. And at that point, the choirs and the musicians gave thanks, sang songs, and were so loud they could be heard miles away. And after that, they continued the celebration inside the temple. And so, this is a scene. But I want to hem in in verse 43. And I want to give you four points on worship. And then I'll finish off with another four points. It's identical, almost identical with the first four points of what worship is on uh, servant of God serving Him. Worship is a sacrifice. First and foremost. Well, I should have put the verses in it. Yep, never mind. Worship, the first one I want to give to you is worship is a sacrifice. Uh, look at this in uh, verse 43 that I mentioned here. When they march up, and in verse 43, it says, On that day, they offered great sacrifices. 
rejoicing because God had given them great joy. On that day, they offered great sacrifices. There's no doubt that I believe they were burning a lot of sacrifices. No pigeon. I don't think they burned pigeon. They probably burned rams and lamb. Give the best to the Lord on that special occasion. It's just that now on special occasion, we dress the best, isn't it? Uh, and on that day, they offered the best. Great sacrifices were offered to the Lord. Worship, of course, today we don't offer animals to God as sacrifice, but we all know that many other religions, they do offer sacrifices to God uh, because blood often needs to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. In the Old Testament, it does that. Uh, but you know that there's a new covenant where Jesus, the Lamb of God, died for us once and for all. And therefore now, as we enter into the house of God, we do not bring animal as a sacrifice. We bring sacrifice of what? In Hebrews it says, sacrifice of? Praise. We just need to thank God for the main sacrifice that you give to us. And now we don't need these animals anymore that to, uh, in the old covenant that they have to, or even in Nepal, that I lived in Nepal for six months, doing a lot of trekking. Uh, whenever we return back to Kathmandu on one particular week of the year, you walk down the street, there'll be blood everywhere because that's the week they sacrifice animals slain animal and blood were everywhere you could see uh, to their gods to pacify the wrath of God to satisfy God's wrath on mankind and uh, forgive their sin but today we don't do that but there is a verse in the Bible that tells us our New Testament sacrifice not just only praise I must have not put Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this, right? I think some of you who are very familiar. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, what are we to present? Your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Holy and pleasing. Your body, your, your being, your whole being is a sacrifice to be standing, sitting on the altar of God and say, this is the sacrifice I bring to you, my whole life. Uh, Worship is sacrifice. Our whole life is a sacrifice to God. And it's not even a sacrifice in some sense. When we serve God, uh, I always tell people sacrifice should not be, even be in our Christian vocabulary when we serve God. It's always an honor, a privilege, and a joy. Worship is sac a sacrifice of our time, talent, treasures. It is an act of us giving up something valuable for the sake of something even more valuable. We give up our time to spend it together with the body of Christ. And many of us, we use our gifts, our lives to serve God. And I, I particularly don't believe that only when you're serving the church, in the church means then you're serving God. Uh, I think too many times we, we separate what is sacred and what is secular. We, we shouldn't separate what is sacred and what is secular. Our lives are service to the Lord. You work diligently in your company. You, uh, you serve God passionately in your place. That's serving God. That's a sacrifice that you bring to God. That's worship that you bring to the Lord. Or you are homebound wives that you have no time, mother, to serve the Lord in the church environment. You can give your best ability, whatever you may be. And our lives is a service to God, as a worship to the Lord. So worship is a sacrifice. 
I think this uh, quote has been attributed to Gandhi, but I'm not too sure nowadays, but I just mentioned it. He, he wrote, in case it's him, he said, seven things that would destroy us. He said, well, without work will destroy you. Pleasure without conscience will destroy you. Uh, knowledge without character will destroy you. Commerce without morality will destroy you. Science without humanity will destroy you. Uh, politics without principle will destroy you. And finally, he say, worship without sacrifice will destroy you. Think about that. Worship without sacrifice will destroy you. A religion that costs nothing, is, it means nothing. <clears throat> and in Christianity, Christianity is moving down a path where it costs you nothing. So worship is a sacrifice. We have to sacrifice because our life is a gift from God. And what we do with this life is our gift then to God. It's a living sacrifice for God. Whatever that we do with it, wherever we serve God, however, is a sacrifice to God. It's a worship to God. Secondly, worship is about joy. In this verse, it tells us not just that worship is a sacrifice, but worship is a joy. It says, and on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. Not only that, the women and children also rejoiced. Rejoicing because God had given them great joy. They were recalling where they were and where they are now. They can't help but give thanks to God. They were so afraid. The people were scattered all over. They were all living in villages. They don't even dare to come to the city because they don't have war. They don't have a temple to worship. They were little corner here and they're scattered all over. And here Nehemiah came to the city after much prayer and rebuild the wall, reenact the temple worship, and people start coming back. Everything is start to falling into place. And therefore, they are so thankful to God and they were rejoicing with great joy. Worship is about joy. Because in God's presence, joy is inevitable. Here it says that God is the one who gave them great joy. That tells me joy is something that can't be fake. It's a gift from the Lord, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And Holy Spirit is the one who gives gifts, fruits, bear, help us to bear fruits. And of course, those fruits are a byproduct. You can't itself try to work out, get joy. It's a byproduct of walking with the Lord enjoying the favor of the Lord, walking with us, spending time with Him, and then out from that relationship, joy is a byproduct. You can't singularly try to be loving in a sense. You can't do that. Their, their joy wasn't just a feeling. It was a spiritual, it went deeper. It's not just depending on circumstances. That is what happiness is. It doesn't depend on circumstances. It's depending on a relationship with a God that can give you joy even though you may be going through the deepest struggle in your life. And so even the women and children had this joy. They too were rejoicing. This was a family celebration of joy 
in Jerusalem. Joy! Rejoicing because God had given them great joy. Many people try to explain what joy is. You know, they say Jesus first and others second and then yourself third. Then you'll have joy. Or some people explain, say, you, put, you turn the O into zero. Say, if there's nothing between Jesus, there's an O and nothing. They say, Jesus and yourself, you'll have joy. But joy is something that many Christians lack as well. Uh, many people struggle with anxiety. Many people struggle with depression. Um, many people don't have joy. Of course, there are seasons in the valley or in the storm that we go through in life that is incredibly difficult sometimes. Uh, but sometimes I feel that our culture views Christian as dull and unexciting. You know, we are almost like on a mission to kill joy. <laughs> you know, don't do this, don't do that, you can't see this, you can't touch that. You know, Christian is on a mission of killing joy. We are out there to anybody have we squeeze the trigger and get rid of the joy out of people's lives, you know. Uh, but it's far from what Christianity is all about, isn't it? Jesus said, I come that you may have life and have it to the full. Or some other versions say, I come that you may have an abundant life, overflowing life. And the relationship with Jesus is meant to be a joyful adventure of faith. True and lasting joy comes from worshipping Jesus. That God is your heavenly Father who loves you, who controls you, whose sovereign will, who knows you, who cares for you, and therefore there is nothing to fear, there is nothing to concern. You can joyfully know that you are in good hand. Charles Spurgeon said, Any fool can sing in the day. It is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But a skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by, to ready by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of man. And joy, we need joy. Worship is about joy. It's about believing and trusting this God who knows you, who loves you, who have your future map out. Joy. So let nothing rob your joy away from the Lord. Even though you may be going through difficult trials and deepest valley of your life, let joy fill your heart and have a greater perspective trusting the Lord. And thirdly, worship is about mission. So worship is a sacrifice. Worship is about joy. Worship is about mission. Look at what happened here. When they worship. You see, on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. So it was an occasion where so amazing, so joyful that the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. The people of God was throwing such a party 
that people from miles away were saying, man, what's happening over there? Let's go down there and have a look. Remember we were talking, they were, the, the wall was in ruin, the people were scattered all over. What's happening now? They managed to rebuild the wall. And not just that, they are marching on top of the wall, hundreds of them, choir member with their musical instrument, with their cellos and trumpets and cymbals and whatnot. They are there playing the music, singing, rejoicing. I thought they were sad-looking Hebrews. Remember they were saying, by the rivers of Babylon, they web and all that. But they are not looking like a sad-looking Hebrews now. Not at all. It was exactly the kind of people the Apostle Paul commanded the church in Philippi to do, isn't it? Be joyful. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I said it again, rejoice. Remember we used to sing this song, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. What a good song. What a good scripture in song, isn't it? Helps us to memorize scripture through music. Those who are starting exams should kind of put music into what you need to memorize. Uh, and then just sing and just write it out. It will be so much easier. And that's how we learn many of the scripture, just by putting it into song. And when you sing the melody, the music, the scripture verse just come into your mind. And here, script, worship is about mission. It's about us as a church playing a part in a community. I wonder if there's no church here in Berlin, whether it makes any difference to the community. If this 41 Marcus Road is just a house, I wonder whether or not it makes any difference at all. It's a fruit for thought, isn't it? When the, the building is built, uh, whether or not we actually make a difference. Worship is about mission. It's about us worshipping the Lord and people can find out why are these people worshipping the Lord. Are they there to kill joy again? Uh, all that. Finally, worship is about giving. They say you can give without loving. You can give without love, but you can't love without give, without giving. Because part of the definition of love is giving. Do you know if you drive on freeway, you reach uh, just before you uh, turn to Horror Street, or, or no, sorry, you turn left at Horror Street freeway, and then you reach this Victoria Street, there'll be some people who will come and try to clean your window windshield yeah with a bottle of water and come and try to clean that you know I never refuse them I will always allow them to clean my car it doesn't matter I've just cleaned my car I will always let them clean my car and I see many people shoo them away I'll never refuse them doesn't matter how many times I will always say, I, even, I wave to them. Come on, look at me. Don't bother about asking those people. Come on, I give. And believe it or not, I shouldn't say this, but please don't take it in the wrong way. I like to shock 
shock people sometimes. Once I give a guy 50 bucks, he almost died. <laughs> More water! <laughs> Second time, you know, front and back, everywhere. I think sometimes we need to do something crazy to just, you know, to just make people's day a little bit. I used to work in Hyatt Regency in Singapore. Uh, and one, I bring an uh, important guest to a room to show them to their room. And, and that guy gave me 100 US tips. I still remember today. Yes, I mean, 100 US it just brighten your day, you know. Uh, sometimes we need to do something crazy for somebody, just, just to, and you feel good as well. You feel good that you're something. Worship is about giving. It's about giving. We don't have to be so tight fist over our wealth. It's okay to buy someone a meal. It's okay. When you die, 70% of your wealth are left behind anyway. Uh, they always say, you only use up 30%. It's always left for others to use. Worship is about giving. Look at what the people did. After the worship is done, at that appointed time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions. Remember the vow that they make in chapter 10? Uh, first fruits and tithes. So they appoint people for giving, you know. And from the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification as did also the musicians and gatekeepers. According to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David... They're trying to attribute to David for establishing all this. And because David established all this, therefore they have these things that they keep following. They have been directors for music and all that. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portion for the musicians and the gatekeepers. And they also set aside a portion for the other Levites. And the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Worship is about giving. It's about giving to the Lord because all that we have is a gift from God. And because of that, we have to learn to use it generously to advance God's work when there are needs. Worship is about giving. It's about giving. When we worship the Lord, it's about giving of our lives, giving of our time, giving of ourselves to Him to invest in eternity. And all these are done in the context of of giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God. I once read of a story about a doctor. And this doctor wrote a letter of thanks to a school teacher for having given him so much encouragement when he had been in her class 30 years ago. And then he later, this doctor later received this reply from his teacher. And this teacher said this to him, I want you to know what your note meant to me. I am an old lady in my 80s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, 
lonely and seeming like the last leaf on the tree. You will be interested to know that I taught that school for 50 years. And yours is the first letter of appreciation I've ever received. And it came on a cold blue morning and it cheered my lonely old heart as nothing has cheered me in many years. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. When we thank God, everything else begins to change. Thankfulness is at the heart of a dynamic worship. The more thankful the heart, the more refreshed the soul. It is also the inspiration of ministry. As thankfulness inspires ministry, it also directs ministry in a very practical way. So are you a thankful person or are you a thank-empty person? Is your tank full or empty? <laughs> and when you are thankful to the Lord, the worship will come out of joyful praise to the Lord. Let me finish with these four quick points and then we can have a cup of coffee. A servant needs a pure heart. As, we look, as I look at this passage and people begin to worship the Lord and serving the Lord, uh, I miss out, I didn't concentrate on verse 30 where the priests actually purify themselves and purify the Levites and the wall and all that uh, to serve the Lord. Pure, not just only in terms of clean, but pure can also mean single-minded. If I say something is pure gold, it means it's unmixed. A servant needs a pure heart. A servant needs a worshipful heart that we just uh, talk about, that we uh, know how to worship the Lord that you are serving the Lord, not just mechanically carrying out the job that is in front of you, but you are doing those work as a worship to the Lord, as a gift that you're offering to the Lord. And when we do that, it gives, brings a huge, huge dynamics and enthusiasm to the service that you do for the Lord. And thirdly, uh, a servant needs a joyful heart that we talk about already. Christian needs to be joyful. I don't mean to say that you go around always smiling, ah, ah, I don't mean that I'm not that kind of person anyway. You know? uh, I'm more sober in the sense, but joy is a deep-seated contentment and a deep-seated joy that you know that God is in control of all things. That He has a reason for leading down you down this path. And lastly, as I already mentioned, a servant needs a giving heart that you give of yourself to the Lord. You sacrifice of yourself. And when you begin to do this, uh, you begin to live your life in a more abundant way. As they always say, if you don't know what you're living for, try to think of what are you willing to die for. The thing that you're willing to die for probably is the thing that you're living for. The things that you are willing to die for is probably the very thing that you are living for. One psychiatrist I read, uh, he has a very unorthodox way of counseling his patient. 
he will ask his patient this question. Strange. He said, why don't you commit suicide? Can you tell me why don't you want to commit suicide? I think the whole idea is to find out what actually are you living for? What exactly are you living for? What are we living for? A servant, we are servant of God. Ministry is about allowing God to use us. We need a pure heart, worshipful heart, joyful heart, giving heart. We all can be ministry. We all can use our gifts to serve the Lord. As we learn to worship the Lord, we become more and more like Jesus. And our whole being, not necessarily in terms of skills, your whole being is a, is a gifts that you can use to serve the Lord. We emphasize too much on our skills when in reality we should emphasize more about our being of a person that is the greatest service that we can offer to God. There was this, let me just close with this and I pray. Uh, there's a story about this, this church was looking for a pastor and uh, and and they have about many, many candidates. And it comes out, this, this is just a story uh, of all the candidates in the Bible and who they eventually settle for. And this candidate is Adam. Good man, but has wife trouble. Noah, former pastorate for, of 120 years with no converts. And he has problem with the bottle and a wayward son morals problems. So not suitable. Abraham, scandal ridden. Offered wife to another man. Child abuse. Joseph, dreamer. Prison record, no good. Moses, poor communicator. Status, unanswered murder charge. David, affairs with neighbor's wife. Hired a hitman to kill husband. No good. Solomon, Husband of more than wife, one wife. In fact, the parsonage too small for him. Elijah, prone to depression and nervous breakdowns. Elisha, reported to have lived with a single widow at former church. Hosea, our congregation, could not handle his wife's occupation. Jeremiah, emotionally unstable. Alarmist, negative lamenter. You read through the book of Nehemiah, I mean Jeremiah. Negative lamenter, reported to have buried underwear on a foreign river bank. Isaiah, language problems on the fringe, claim to see angels. Jonah, refuses to preach to the lost unless forced by God. Amos, backward and unpolished, does not like the rich. John does not dress like a Baptist. Weird diet provokes higher powers. Peter, bad temple, curses, hypocrite in racial matters, loose cannon. Paul uses racial epitaphs, preaches all night. Timothy, too young and single. Number 19, Jesus. Dwindle church of 5,000 down to 12. And often offend folks. My friend, last one. Judas. His references are solid. 
good connections. He knows how to handle money. He has compassion for poor. And he will be preaching for us this Sunday. Possibilities here. You know, God's using people is just amazing. He can use any one of us. When I look through the scripture, I realize that we are all wounded, broken people and God loves to use this kind of people because only this kind of people know how to depend and rely on the Lord and not your own skill. May we find our find meaning in our worship and may we know that we can be a servant of God being used by Him. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this joyful occasion in the book of Nehemiah where the people come together to celebrate. I just so wish that the book of Nehemiah will end in chapter 12. But that's not the case because it was a sad ending in chapter 13. Just depict how tough Christian living can be. And so we thank you that today we want to rededicate not just the temple of the story that we just rededicate our lives to you. We want to acknowledge that worship is a sacrifice. Worship is about joy. It's about mission. It's about giving. It's not about what God can give to me and satisfy me. It's about what I can be a living sacrifice for you. And where a servant is a joyful heart, a servant gives, a servant worship, a servant is pure. So help us, Lord, as we worship you, as we give of our life to you. May you be pleased with us and use us in your way as broken as we are, as wounded as we are, we use all our wounds to serve you. Thank you, Lord. You use broken people. You delight in using broken people. Thank you, Lord. May you bless this church that we will have many, many servants who are always willing to give our lives for your kingdom work. Thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen.